Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are taking a look at the Marvels, Disney's newest superhero features out. Second to last superhero feature of the year, actually. Uh, the only other one coming out this year is Aquaman. Thank God. Uh, we're also going to take a look at Priscilla. Uh, we did not technically intend to do this movie. We didn't announce it last week, but Andy had some spare time this week. He went and saw it. I haven't seen it, so it's a mini review. You can look forward to that. I'll be getting all the goods from him on what's going on in that feature. Uh, we took a look at Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, exciting new film out of France from director Justine Triette. Uh, indie darling this year. A lot of people talking about Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, stick around. We're going to tell you whether or not it's worth your time. We got to talk about new trailers coming out. We have a ton of news to cover because we were off last week. It, it's, it's an insane week at the movies, Andy. I don't know how we're going to do it all, but we're going to do it. We're going to move through it. And our first story this week, uh, SAG-AFTRA has approved a deal to end the historic strike in Hollywood. It is done. Rest in peace. Long live SAG-AFTRA. Uh, everybody's made a compromise. And uh, some actors are happy and some studios are kind of happy, I guess. Uh, there were tears. People were getting calls over Zoom. That SAG, the strike was over. People are already going back to shoots. Andy, what does this mean for the movies? It means we can get back on track, back to work. Uh, at, like the day after the, the strike ended, there were already announcements for uh, new projects or resume, resumption of, of projects uh, in various stages of, of development. There were things like, uh, I guess it was Beetlejuice 2, had literally two days left to film. Um, and other, other things like that. Uh, lots of stuff scheduled to start in the spring. Some delays happening that we'll be talking about uh later but it we're back to work and uh it's over longest strike in history uh it's hard to believe there's a lot in here uh, who got what uh what what are the benefits uh the, the short kind of summary from variety i don't want to get too far into it uh following the 118 day strike uh, we have penned a deal with the amptp and sag after says they are getting uh Minimums increased by 7%, 2% above the increase received by the Writers Guild of American Directors Guild. So more minimum pay, uh, protections for actors against artificial intelligence, along with the pay increase. Also includes a streaming participation bonus. Uh, there's a bit in here about healthcare. The union said the contracts are worth more than $1 billion in total. Most importantly, uh, besides people getting paid what they're worth, hopefully, uh, I think we can look forward to things getting made again. Like Andy said, things are kicking back into production uh, I was already hearing uh, stuff on Instagram about uh, Stranger Things actors getting immediately called out to shoot, <laughs> <laughs> like within within hours of the announcement. Producers are getting on the phone. Hey, we're shooting next week. Get your stuff. You know, like everybody's everybody's been waiting for this. The writer strike is over. The SAG after strike is over. Uh, we're finally back to to making movies, at least for the next three years. I think both of these were three year deals, and, and that's uh, kind of the long and short of it. Uh, I guess. As far as the whole thing goes, Andy, we've been covering this for a week, uh, weeks. Uh, what, do, what do you think? Clo closing thoughts on the strike? Where are you at? Strikes? My gosh. Well, I mean, it was good that they, you know, the actors and writers really stuck it out and, you know, made made the studios bend the knee. Like the I, I reviewed some of the, some of the contract stuff. It's it's complicated, but the big picture is that a, a lot of increase in compensation in healthcare. Uh, limits on AI use, also compensation for AI use. I don't, I don't think they got the, um, you know, they wanted to get a percentage of like of every stream, streaming subscriber. I don't think they quite got that. Uh, but a historic win in in a very tough tough industry. So 
um, good on on everyone who who had to strike to uh, for sticking it out as long as they did. Yeah, 118 days. Like it's impossible to overstate the the emotion involved in all of that from everybody in it. Uh, historic strike, historic victory. I know they didn't get everything they wanted, but uh, it seems they'll be back seeking negotiation again in 2026. So keep it here on off script for more on uh, the the upcoming strikes. I don't know if there will be another one. We'll see. Uh, our next story this week. The Legend of Zelda is getting a live action movie. This is crazy. This news dropped, uh, what, last week? We didn't do the show. Nintendo announced this is in conjunction with Sony. Uh, following the success of the Super Mario Brothers movie, except this one's not going to be animated. Uh, we're going to a land far, far away in live action. Andy, what do you know about this? So, just like you said, off the back of the massive, massive success of the Mario movie comes The Legend of Zelda. And, you know... Nintendo did not make a movie for literally 30 years. Like they held on to their properties so tight after the disaster of 1992 Super, uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. But after making a billion, you make a billion dollar hit, and now uh, all of a sudden you're going to be on board with other things. Uh, Legend of Zelda, almost as, as equally recognizable as as Super Mario. It's going to be huge. It, people were already talking cast and rumors because it's going to be live action. It's not uh, animated, right? Um, right. So absolutely. It's, so yeah, it's gonna be like a fantasy thing. It, it's gonna be huge. Like, and one thing I've heard of is that while superhero fatigue may or may not be here, uh, the era of the video game adaptation might be um, upon us. It, it's gonna be interesting to see where they kind of go direction rise with this. Because you're right, we don't have a cast. Uh, we don't even really have a crew. We do know the film's being directed by Wes Ball of the Maze Runner trilogy. Uh, and more recently, uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, that new Planet of the Apes trailer you've been seeing, uh, he's doing that movie. So my man knows how to do escapism. He's definitely got that down, right? He knows how to do uh, scale, I think, pretty well. My big go-to for Legend of Zelda movie for a minute was Denis Villeneuve. Uh, he's obviously got other stuff going on. Uh, fair, you know, but... I think it's exciting. I don't know who they'll cast. I, I think everybody will be mad no matter who they pick uh, to fill these roles. I don't know, frankly, what direction they're going to go in. Legend of Zelda trends a little bit more mature. They, like it's a dungeon puzzler uh, RPG, right? Uh, whereas Mario is like a, a chill 2D platformer at its core. So I think the Mario movie could be a bit more like Kitty, especially with Illumination doing the animation. This is going to trend a bit more mature i don't know if we're still, we're still aiming at like eight-year-olds or what but like it, it it can't do exactly what the mario movie did it's gonna have to do something different uh keep does it, it for more does I, it i don't know where they go but may, maybe as a live action it it definitely does if they if they really wanted that kitty kitty audience they would probably keep it animated i mean i don't even it's funny because like i'm a you know i'm a zelda fan otherwise and i'll keep this quick because we got a lot of news to get to but uh, I don't even know what direction they go like in the games. The games have been changing. The last couple that have come out, uh, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, are radically different from the other titles. Like, So I don't even know if you go like old school or you do like this new thing they're doing now. Like, I, I couldn't even... I don't. E I have no idea. I think everyone's gonna be mad no matter what you do. Uh, but maybe it'll be great. Who knows? Maybe, maybe West Ball will pull a rabbit out of a hat. I think Nintendo's certainly hoping he will. 
Uh, speaking of rabbits, we got to talk about production schedules getting moved around. Uh, following Ooh, SAG after reaching their historic uh, deal, uh, Deadpool three and Captain America four have been kind of, kind of, kind of moving, kind of shaking. Uh, really, Disney has been moving things around, and I'm glad they finally came to the negotiating table with something reasonable. Uh, but it seems like they're going to pay for this long wait because uh, you know the Marvel, the Marvel schedule is getting shook up. What's going on, Andy? So a lot of things moving around. Deadpool 3 was slated to be, come out May 3rd. It's now uh, 2024. It's now being moved a few months to July 26th. 2024, it's the middle of the summer. Uh, but the thing is, all the other planned Marvel movies are all getting moved to 2025. So there is only one uh, comic book movie from Disney coming out. There are some from, from Sony, Sony Marvel <laughs> coming out next year, but th- those haven't been pushed. They were pu- pushed earlier. Uh, but some other some other movement we've had Captain America New World Order, which was supposed to come out in July, is now coming out February fourteenth, twenty twenty five. Thunderbolts, uh, which was supposed to come out next Christmas uh, in twenty twenty four, being moved to summer twenty twenty five. Blade, which I don't think Blade is ever going to happen, but Blade was supposed to come out February fourth, twenty twenty five, is now slated for November seventh, twenty twenty five. So two, literally two years from now. Uh, we'll see, because that that movie was supposed to already come out. So more delays in 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 the MCU because of, of the the strikes, and that that was pretty much um anticipated. For what it's worth, uh, this may give them more time to start pivoting and maybe like enhancing some of these features after the fact. Maybe figuring out better ways to tie them together. Marvel has been receiving a lot of criticism lately, especially here on Off Script from your boys. Uh, about how their movies are tying together and why a lot of decisions in the films begin to feel inconsequential with so many different projects, Disney Plus shows. Like, it's just difficult to care a lot about the next Marvel movie because there's so many of them now, right? Like, there's so many Marvel projects coming along. And we'll be talking about the Marvels here in a minute. But seeing things get moved around in the back end, maybe not such a bad thing. Maybe it'll give them time to run things by test audiences, right? I, I know uh, uh, the new Captain America feature, New World Order, is getting a bunch of reshoots. They're having stuff done because apparently they didn't test that good. Uh, Thunderbolts is going to take a lot of time to coordinate because they got a big cast. Blade seems to be like it seems like Mar- somebody said this on Twitter. Marvel is like playing chicken with Marshall yeah. Ali to see if he'll drop <laughs> before they like actually get the picture together. They were supposed to shoot. They were within six weeks of actually shooting on that film last year or, or early this year. Uh, and then the director literally walked off the project. We covered it on the show. It was a really quiet story. Nobody really talked about it. But that movie is struggling to get made. They can't get a script together. I don't know what they're going to do. Um, but hopefully they can take this time to maybe massage things a little, maybe or get a little goodwill back. Uh, I know Iger's talked about them slowing down projects, which is smart. They want to aim for more quality, less quantity. Um, and regarding Deadpool 3, that's great. I'm glad Deadpool 3 is going to hit its release date. Deadpool 3 infamously did not stop shooting for the writer's strike, but absolutely stopped shooting for the for the, for the actor strike. Like, well, our, our writers can go, but we have to have our actors, so whatever. Whatever. Deadpool 3 is a bunch of squares. Uh, anything else on this one, Andy? I know we've got a couple more to get to. Um, I mean, I mean uh, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of other things. A lot of, a lot of other movies have been moved. Uh, we started seeing that back in, in September with uh, the tennis movie that I can't think of the name of with Zendaya. That, got, that was the first. Poor Things got moved. Dune got moved. Oh, yeah. Uh, a bunch of Sony Marvel stuff got moved to next year. So we are still going to have... Don't, don't you worry. We're still going to have plenty of, of comic book films next year. Uh, they're yeah. just not going to be from from the uh, M- MCU. 
you mean uh, Luca Guadagnino's tennis movie that I can't remember the name of right now either. Some poor listener out there. If if you know it, hit us in the comments. Like, just tell us, <laughs> tell us what it is. I don't remember. Somehow uh, I could remember Luca Guadagnino's name, but not. I would have I would have remembered it if I could have seen it by now, but no, it's fine. Uh, two more two more stories this week. Uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, has a writer. This is an exclusive story from the Hollywood Reporter. At least it was exclusive until we started telling you about it on this podcast right here. Uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran are putting together a Supergirl movie. They have a writer. I don't know anything about this woman, Andy. <laughs> what's, what's going on with Supergirl? All right. So they have tapped a writer, Anna Noguera. Noguera. A lot of, lot of vowels. Name, yeah. It's a good name. Uh, to to pen this to pen this na- this uh, Supergirl movie, uh, this was just announced today, and uh, uh, she's been an, an actress and and a writer's worked in TV and film and stage, uh, so no no stranger to to the craft. But but the interesting part of this story that reveals is that this same writer was actually tapped by the previous uh, Helmers at DC, Walter Hamada, to write a, a Supergirl spinoff movie from the Flash uh, based on Sasha Kaye's character that we met in the flash. So she was going to write a Supergirl movie for old DC and they kept her on to write one for new DC, but they're, they're not, they're not going to be the same, not, not probably not going to be the same story, not the same uh, actress either playing this. They're going to loosely base it off of Tom King's uh, very recent uh, run of Supergirl woman of tomorrow, which ran in 2021 into 2022. Um, this is exciting news because they're moving forward on these projects. Uh, like I said, the big the big surprise was that they she, she had already kind of started a Supergirl movie, so uh, kind of back to the drawing board. But I'm glad that they kept her on, and I'm excited to see what what she brings. Yeah, James Gunn explained in a video released on Twitter at the time that quote Superman is a guy sent to Earth and raised by loving parents. Where Supergirl in this story is a character raised on a chunk of Krypton. She watched everybody around her perish in some terrible way. So she's a much more jaded character. Not your farm boy from Smallville. And I think that's probably a good thing. I think Supergirl in The Flash was like surprisingly cool. I know she's a really simple character and a very different read. And really, she was just kind of a stand-in for Superman. I Like, I get that. It was just a, kind of a Kal-El thing. But like, even still, I think there's like a lot of potential for what that character could be on screen, especially just, I mean, coming off the Marvels, I watched that movie yesterday, right? Like, I think there's definitely angles. You can take female superheroes and make them rather intriguing. Uh, so I don't know. I think it seems like a good move. It seems like James Gunn likes something in that old script, right? Like, I don't think he'd hire back the same screenwriter if he didn't think that maybe, you know, she's got, she's got some juice uh andy have you read any supergirl and what, i have i i've i've read this run this, this specific this specific run supergirl woman of tomorrow um mm. uh re- really interesting uh, i really love this it's just seven issues definitely go pick it up if you if you can um it kind of follows a uh, supergirl who again has lost her whole family a very jaded per- person she's grown and she j- ends up uh kind of taking on this sidekick to um uh, kind of go on a quest for revenge, help this girl whose father has been has been killed in a galactic uh, galactic chase to uh, kind of capture this bad guy, and uh, they have adventures along the way. But you have a uh, a very different character. Like Supergirl is is generally very angry. Like she has a very short temper. She loses her temper. Um, she kind of goes. She was a Red Lantern for a while because they they're fueled by rage. Um. It's a really, really good story, and I'm good. I'm anxious to see what the they'll 
how they'll translate that that to film. But I, I'm pretty excited for that. Yeah, me too. Uh, especially since you're excited, being being the comic reader. Like, if you're saying, "Hey, this is probably going to be cool," then like me, a non-comic reader, gets much more excited because that's where everything cool comes from. One more story this week uh, from the comics. Uh, the Marvels is struggling at the box office uh, with a $47 million opening. It's funny. I saw somebody on Twitter say, wait a second. Killers of the Flower Moon only made $23 million, and these movies had nearly the same budget. Why is the Marvels getting so much hate? Andy, do you think maybe you can explain to people why Marvels opening to $47 million is not actually a good thing for Marvel? That actually turns out to be a negative. Yeah, uh, a lot of things going on going on here. Uh, number one, this was a very expensive movie, $200, $250 million budget. Um, lowest opening for any Marvel film, but still fairly strong, uh, $110 million globally, so it's not terrible. But the, the problem is these movies generally don't have very good legs. They, they're going to make everything uh, up front. Um, but it's kind of a sign of, of a little bit of superhero fatigue, uh, which I, I think it's more to do with just a mediocrity fatigue that people have. Uh, this is coming after Quantumanium, which was lame, The Flash, which was lame, a couple of several Disney Plus TV shows that a lot of people didn't watch. Uh, it's character, a couple of characters, you, characters people haven't seen elsewhere. There's a lot of reasons why, why there wasn't a lot of interest. Uh, and unfortunately, the verse Captain Marvel, Marvel was a huge hit. Uh, made over a billion dollars, open to 150 million uh, its opening weekend. But it was also sa- sandwiched between the two Infinity War movies, um, and so like th- those are two of the biggest movies in history. So th- and, that, and that's a time when Marvel hype was at its peak, and we're c- not kind of there anymore. So it, it's not the fault of the movie by any any means. Also, dates ch- changing. Uh, this was actually supposed to come out. This swap dates with Ant Man three. So this was actually supposed to come out like eight or nine months ago, and it ended up coming out now. I think it would have been a very different story um, had it come out then. Yeah. I think one of the things that's particularly funny about this movie underperforming was Disney's scramble to promote it immediately following uh, the strike ending. Uh, The strike ends, SAG After Strike ends at 12.01 a.m. on Wednesday. Uh, by 10 p.m. Eastern on Friday night, Brie Larson is on the Tonight Show. <laughs> it's less than 48, less than 72 hours. Amazing, nearly 48. They were so quick to try to scramble people to tell, "Hey, please go see this cool movie." And we're going to talk about it in a second. Uh, but I think what Andy said is completely valid. You're looking at a combination of superhero fatigue followed by a full year of superhero stuff followed by general interest in the characters coming from two different Disney Plus shows and a film. Uh, We've talked about on the show a lot in the past about how the Marvels may do. Uh, I really thought we would see worse numbers for Guardians, and Guardians actually did pretty good. But I think this may be, I don't know, maybe a bit of a bellwether for where things are headed with Marvel, maybe a bit of a direction change, or just, you know, lacking a a couple key elements that typically will draw big box office numbers, like a couple of big names as your stars instead of this film featuring like Iman Vellani in her first film role ever, you know, uh, it's different. It's offbeat. I'm excited to talk about it. Any other thoughts on news before we just jump into the review, Andy? Cause I think that's probably the next step. So I think another factor is just how much this has been delayed. This was actually supposed to come out in 2022 and then everything got pushed and then it was, it just kept jumping through the calendar. It was February 23, July 23, finally November 23. And it's just been pushed so much. 
four years after the first movie, I don't remember much of what happens in the first movie, which is kind of an issue. And it's just, there, there's a number of factors. And unfortunately, it, it, to me, it kind of has nothing to do with the quality of, of the movie. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't, having seen the film, I, I can say I, I do think it's a little maladjusted based on what's in the movie. I, and, and I suppose I should save the rest of my thoughts for the review. Uh, you ready? How you feeling? Feeling limber? I, you, you ready for it? I, I am ready. Perfect. Please uh, take it away. The Marvels. So this is the long-awaited follow-up to 2019's Captain Marvel, starring Brie, Brie Larson as Carol Danvers, the titular Captain Marvel. Also stars Tiana Paris as Monica Rambeau and Iman, newcomer Iman Villani as Kamala Khan slash Miss Marvel. Uh, the plot's really complicated, so I'll try to keep it as uh, simple as uh, possible. Our three uh, superheroes of event kind of get entangled every time they use their powers. Uh, they, if they use their powers at the same time, they switch places. Uh, this makes for a lot of really funny scenes early on, and then uh, they kind of have to work together and coordinate to how to how to like work as a team, uh, and they have to fight against uh, Zawe Ashton's character Darben. Uh, who there's a lot of kind of like space mumbo jumbo going on that relates to the previous film. That's a little bit difficult to keep up with, but basically the bad guy is trying to restore the, their planet and uh, is taking resources from other planet, which is very destructive. And so the Marvels go after her to uh, stop this from happening and kind of set the universe uh, right while also learning to work as a team. And also some, there's some interpersonal drama between uh, our three characters as well. Uh, I thought this was, was a lot of fun and I actually enjoyed this a lot, a lot more than I kind of expected to. But Zach, what are your thoughts? So the Marvels is uh, the 33rd film in the Marvel franchise. Uh, I also looked this up. It is Samuel Jackson's 15th appearance in a Marvel project, which is crazy. Uh, it's a longstanding series. This movie has to take functionally three protagonists uh, and put them together and I think, like, on its face, the gimmick of the Marvels is good. And I think that's my favorite thing about it. Uh, it ends up being surprisingly fun with three superheroes who swap places immediately uh, if they use their powers at the same time. That's neat. And I've complained in the past that I wish the heroes were a little bit more dynamic. I wish I had, like, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and, like, I don't know, Loki and Hawkgirl or something. Like, three people with drastically different powers, because our three here all have, uh, quote, light-based powers. They're, like, electric. Um, and that was short-sighted, because I hadn't seen Miss Marvel, the show, uh, on Disney+, and I don't really remember Monica Rambeau from WandaVision, and I did, like Andy, hardly remember Captain Marvel. Um, but I'm really pleased to say, like, all three of these heroes end up being surprisingly fun. And while this movie does make me feel old in its radical presentation <laughs> of like nearly all VFX shots, it's crazy how much VFX is in, is in, is in this movie. Like with a bouncy script and a good runtime and Aman Vellani uh, putting all of the comedy in this movie on her very first time in script features back. Uh, I, I think this movie is actually better than I thought it'd be. Um, not great, not bad. I think it's fine. Uh, Andy, what's the best place to start talking about the Marvels? Well, why don't we start with our, our cast, and I'm going to start with uh, Iman Villani, who plays Miss Marvel, the kind of teenage hero. She had a show on Disney+. Plus. I didn't see it. Uh, apparently, it ties in some, but it, it's not like a must-watch. 
but she's hilarious and i was really surprised because i didn't really like the trailers for this movie uh she looked really annoying and like the, the gimmick didn't work for me but in the movie she's hilarious like she has so many good one-liners and she she's like this person who's she's balancing like her family with also she's fangirling a- after captain marvel and she's but also trying to be like you know be an avenger and work with nick fury uh and she's just hilarious like her her dynamic with her family and her like i said her her dynamic with captain marvel is just she was really funny she's a highlight of the movie really I mean, put, puts the whole thing on her back in, in a whole lot of ways. Um, and I hope we get a whole lot more of her. Yeah, I think uh, part of like what's tough about managing the script is having your three main characters who all have their own backstories. A couple of them intertwine, like uh, Captain Marvel and Monica Rambeau have history. A couple of them have superhero names. Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel both do. Uh, Monica Rambeau does not. Like, it's a little... It's a little it's a little a lot. Plus, you got Samuel Jackson in there running around with the B-plot as uh, Nick Fury. Um, it ends up being scattered and the movie opens with like three or four flashback scenes, which is nuts. Like, cause it has to, it has to explain our villain and our conflict. You have to give us at least a little of Captain Marvel and what her deal is. You got to explain a bit about Miss Marvel and how her powers work with this, um, odd animated sequence that kind of works, but is really jarring and made me feel really old. I was just like, Oh my God, I can't keep up with what's going on here. Um, but once you get through that, like, I, th- I think the script works because yeah, Amon Vellani plays like this young girl who is, yeah, you, basically your you're, you're comedy goof, right? She's like Chris Farley and Tommy Boy or, or like uh, uh, Will Smith and Men in Black, right? And then your, your, your straight man characters are going to be Captain Marvel and Monica Rambeau, both a little older, both have a bit more experience, both know how to fly. Like both of them are kind of like your stand-up heroes. And then she, Amon Vellani is like, on the back end as kind of like the teenager who's like along for the ride, but also excited to be a part of it. And it would be so easy for that to be annoying. And I don't know who, what writers they got to write her character. I don't know if it was her coming up with stuff on set, but her delivery and their writing works perfect, pitch perfect. And she ends up being a lot more charming than annoying. She's funny when she needs to be sincere when she's not like genuinely gets probably the best scenes of the movie uh, uh, followed closely by, yeah, uh, Captain Marvel and, and Monica Rambeau. They're both fine. I think Tiana, Tiana Paris is, is good. And Brie Larson is fine. You know, she's stern, but does a fine job. Um, yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah there's, they, there's your three leads. Yeah. She, um, that's kind of the, the only issue is like Amon Vellani is so good. And the other two are just kind of, there and yeah they kind of lack a lot a lot of personality and, and i've heard some some you know some discussion where some people think that brie larson is just like so done with these movies that she's just kind of phoning it in i don't think it's that bad but i she doesn't have the kind of personality personality that you associate with a lot of uh heroes that's that's what part of what was so brilliant in in like the first three phases of marvel when you had you know, uh, Tony Stark as Iron Man was a, this cocky businessman, and then you had Captain America, who who was the 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 Boy Scout uh, of the team and always did the right thing, and they had such strong personalities that you could tie to their character. And we don't really get enough of that with our other two characters, particularly Captain Marvel, who's the the lead of the film. You know, yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if she still kind of sticks around after this movie. It's funny because. Uh... Kamala Khan, uh, Miss Marvel, she 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 aspires to be like Captain Marvel, and she has her whole rooms full of Funko Pops and posters, and she wears a, a T-shirt with Marvel Comics on it, like it's meta and fun. 
Um, but it like alludes to all these adventures that Captain Marvel has had in the universe, right? When she's off world or off colony or whatever in any other movie, like she's been to other planets and done other things and been part of diplomatic relations and this goofy scene in the middle of the movie. And like, I, I, all I kept thinking is like, boy, I sure would have loved to have seen these adventures. That would have been great. But like, instead we got (laughs) one movie and then she's just been busy and everything else that she hasn't been an Easter egg in, you know? And like, I get it. Like this is how production works, but it just doesn't seem like there's much for this character to be a fan of, right? Like Captain Marvel is just kind of this elusive lore lore told individual. Monica Rambo, you get a bit more gas because she was in WandaVision uh, she also doesn't get a flashback. It's just explained via dialogue uh, how she got her powers, but I think she somehow ends up feeling a bit more grounded. Regardless, I think uh, the one the one character who's really done with these features uh, is Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury. <laughs> there was a time when Nick Fury was supposed checks, to be a serious character. Yeah, in this film, he's either sitting down or leaning in 90% of his shots. He is mugging to the camera. He's doing he's like doing the, the Ryan Luther. Reynolds... Deadpool, yeah, right. <laughs> he's doing, he's doing Ving Rhames, Ethan from Mission Impossible. Like that's <laughs> that's how this feels. Like I couldn't believe how done with it. His face paint looks like Crayola crayon. They just like <laughs> smacked on set. He was barely there for three days. Like he is cashing his checks, and good for him. I'm glad he's getting the bag. Uh, but they got to stop using Nick Fury in these movies. Good God, his his whole subplot is, I think, probably the worst part of the movie. It's not particularly I, funny. It's hardly I don't even, to. I'm, I'm not sure what it actually is now that I can't really remember it. Honestly. Yeah, it's really odd. Like, and again, like the movie's really busy concentrating on your three leads. And I should say, uh, very, very, very in a very fun fashion, presenting this dynamic of the three of them swapping places. It starts off goofy. Uh, 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 they're, they're all in three different complete places in the universe, right? Like Kamala Khan's in her home, uh, up in her bedroom, and Captain Marvel is in some alien spaceship fighting baddies, and 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 Monica Rambo is uh, hanging off the side of a space station, just uh, just uh, just out of orbit of Earth, like looking at a weird jump gate, which is a thing now in these movies, like big portals that enable you to teleport instantly through the universe. This is part of what I mean when I say these movies make me feel old. I feel like I've missed five Marvel movies, and I know I haven't missed fi- five Marvel movies, so I don't understand where we're at, where we have like more, more of like a Star Trek kind of setup to the universe now with yeah. hyperspeed and jump action, and I was like, what, what are we doing? I haven't missed many of these. Um, I think this is just kind of like Captain Marvel, how they've decided to, to, to move things forward in the world, right? So th- that's kind of... This is a good time to get into plot, but um, I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, "This is kind of a Star Trek plot." Like, yeah, if you take away, really if you take away, if you take away their powers, like there is, uh, it's a Star Trek movie because there's all this space stuff, and it's like, well, this nation and the, the aliens from this planet, and the aliens from that planet, and the Skrull the and the Kree. Yeah, right. Yeah, it sounds very Star Trekky. And that's it's a good thing this movie is really charming and really funny and and really entertaining because the plot is all over the place. Um, like I said, there's this big thing they got to stop the this the the villain from stealing resources from other planets. Uh, but it, it's real complicated backstory of like the scrolls and the Kree and they're on this planet and they're on that planet and I you know I kind of messed things up on the planet they were on and then. This is a, this movie is actually a sequel to like four properties. It's it's a sequel to Captain America, WandaVision, 
to Ms. Marvel to oh, what's the the other one? Loki actually, in in some ways, and uh, Secret Invasion, Secret which invasion. I, I didn't yeah, I didn't God. see, and so. There's a lot of plot threads in here that kind of come out of nowhere and they don't really go anywhere either. And this movie is very short. It's an hour and 45 minutes. It's one of the short, I think it's the shortest Marvel movie ever. It could have actually been a little bit longer, which I never say about anything. Like it almost goes through the beats a little bit too quick and we don't get enough of our plot explained. We also don't kind of get enough kind of emotional depth going on with our characters because there's some personal drama kind of, happening between them as well and we don't get enough time with that i should say i was impressed at how fast the movie moves through act one because at some point it's like my i mean it's it's like action every second um once our characters kind of start swapping places you have like it's probably like a 15 minute continuous action scene functionally bouncing between the three of them in three different places whether they're fighting aliens or aliens getting pulled through one portal to another or whatever um, that like that gimmick works great for action. It is wildly confusing to try to keep up with, but fortunately, like we have some pretty good decisions behind the camera with Nia DaCosta, who will choose to basically keep the camera in one setting, mostly uh, Kamala Khan's house. Like it basically stays there with her family for most of the swapping, and so you just have your characters bouncing in and out of a fight scene rather than trying to move your audience through three different settings, which is wise, I think. And then additionally, once our characters get together and actually start to figure out how the gimmick works and how they change powers and whether it like carries perpetual motion with them, you get a really fun scene in Captain Marvel's like ship where they're like experimenting and they have like jump ropes and bouncy balls uh, with a goofy Beastie Boys soundtrack. And then, of course, like towards the end, you're going to have like fight scenes where our characters are bouncing between at will, like using this intentionally to fight baddies. All that's really great. That's all really solid. That that makes for fun action. I think like good chemistry between heroes on screen is important, not only in their emotional moments, but in their like actual physical using their powers moments, right? It's like when Captain America picked up Thor's hammer at the end of Avengers. Like that stuff is cool. We like seeing like other heroes use the other one's powers. That stuff's neat. That works great. Unfortunately, I also think our villain's a little rote. Um, yeah. not villain of the inspired. Month. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of, like, evil Daenerys Targaryen. Like, just kind of like, okay, sure, you know, yeah, villain of the month. Um, the the Nick Fury subplot's not that great. Um, I do think it's it's better than it's being perceived, unfortunately. And, and I, I, I say that confidently being one of these people who's been ragging on this movie. I, I definitely was not that stoked to go see it. And by the end of it, I was like, okay, all right, hey, you know what? It's a pretty good effort. And that's saying a lot because it seemed like Nita Costa really wanted to write this one off. She bailed from production a couple months before they were done with post, which these things take a long time anyway. I'm sure she was sick of working on it. Um, she said it was Kevin Feige's film in interviews. Andy, like looking at kind of the direction here, do you think she was trying to get out of the way of a bullet or, or what? Because it's not that bad. Like it's not like I've seen much worse Marvel features for sure. Yeah. No, no not, not at all. Uh, like I said, we... Ant-Man 3 was bad compared to this. Uh, Flash was like, I will never wa- rewatch those. I would go see this again. I would go see this in theaters again. Like, it was a, it's a really fun time. My, my, and I saw it with a pretty full uh, crowd. Crowd was loving it. Crowd was like cracking up at all the jokes. Like, when when there's, uh, you know, a couple of things revealed at, at the end and when we get our post credit scene, uh, people going wild. It's a fun time and it's an entertaining time at the movies. And that's uh, largely of what we want. 
it's got a lot of problems narratively, and for one, I understand it had uh, some a lot of reef shoots too, but that is kind of standard for these Marvel projects. Um, it, it's getting more hate than it it deserves, um, but I I hope they can kind of see the the good for what it is and kind of push through it. And uh, you know, the the lessons that Marvel needs to learn are a bigger issue than just this movie. Yeah, I I, th- I think you're right. I couldn't agree more. Any other thoughts on this for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend The Marvels? I would. It was a really fun time. I was really surprised. I was not looking forward to it. I didn't like the trailer. The characters felt annoying. But when I actually saw it, it's a lot of fun. It's really funny. Amon Vellani is a standout. I think she's going to be a big deal in the, in the MCU to, to come. She has so much personality. We have a lot of uh, other superhero fun with uh, Brie Larson and Tiana Paris. The, like I said, the plot's a little all over the place. It's a little bit of too much space politics mumbo jumbo uh feels a lot like star trek in places with a, a rote villain but uh it's such a good time that you, you don't care about the the stuff that doesn't work yeah i think i'm in the same boat i think marvels is better than i thought it would be like i really had low expectations going in it came out feeling better uh it's not perfect for sure if anything like it it I don't keep saying it makes me feel old, but like real talk, dude, there's so much VFX in this movie. Like my eyes just glaze over. It reminds me of when I'm watching like Jurassic world. Like at some point I'm like, nothing I'm looking at matters or is real. Right. I'm just waiting to get from the scene to scene. And that's not the right audience for this feature. Right. Like this is not exactly who this is aimed at, but I think if you're going to see it with a bunch of people, family need something to throw on date night, maybe for the kids, like Marvel's is pretty good. Definitely not bad. Definitely not bad. And I can say that with confidence because I've seen the feature. Uh, with that, we got to keep moving. My God, we got a lot to do. Uh, uh, yeah. Really quick, we need to get through <laughs> a couple of trailers. And then we're going to do a mini review for Priscilla. We still got Anatomy of a Fall coming up at the end of the show. And this thing's already running long. And I know y'all's time is worth something. So, Andy, please, uh, what do we call this segment? It's time for the trailer park. So, we got a number of big trailers came out uh, this week. We're going to start off with Mean Girls. Coming out in January 2024, this is a musical remake of the the original 2004 uh, Mean Girls, which was written by uh, Tina Fey. Comedy classic. Uh, and this is, like I said, it's a, re- it's a remake. It's not like, you know, the same girl's 20 years older. It, it's um, new, new characters. It stars Andrew Rice as the, the character originally played by Lindsay Lohan, uh, Renee Rapp, uh, who's a newcomer singer- person that I don't really know, but I've seen some of the, their videos since, and they're pretty funny. Uh, and I, I just about turned to dust when I saw <laughs> um, Not Your Mother's Mean Girls, because I was like, oh, is it really that old? And it's really that old. Um, so it'll be 20 years since it came out, the the original. This looks like a lot of fun. It's a musical. We didn't really hear any not- musical numbers in the trailer. They, they're kind of hiding that part for some reason. Uh, but it looks like a lot of fun. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, yes, I'd like to, I'd like to establish for anybody out there, it's a musical fan that this film is doing the same thing Wonka is doing. Uh, you can't tell it's a musical from the trailer. They did release a follow-up trailer that ran in front of Marvel. It's a little shorter. It's like 30 seconds. That actually features a little bit of singing and the logo has a musical note in the A, like Mean Girls, a little musical note up there. Um, in that trailer, I think, no, in this one, it's here too. Yeah. If you're watching the live, uh, but I think it's an interesting move just to not really tell people it's a musical. Like, well, let them, let them get tickets, you know, and then they'll find out. Otherwise, I'm not sure what would make this movie better than the original. The original is getting a remake for a reason because it's really good. Love Tina Fey. 
Uh, I just haven't seen enough to be convinced. So we'll have to see about Mean Girls. Uh, next film we need to talk about is Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. Uh, as the resident Ghostbusters fan on the podcast, I'm not really excited to talk about this movie, but I'm looking forward to having a quick conversation. Uh, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire is the direct sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife, which came out just a couple of years ago. Uh, it follows the Spangler family, uh, who has left their former uh, rural trappings of the previous film and moved to New York City, where they're going to team up with the original Ghostbusters, right? Dan Aykroyd and... Uh, uh, Ernie Hudson and Bill Murray, who they got on set for one hour for this movie, barely <laughs> in the trailer. It's great. Probably the only shot of him in the whole movie uh, where they're going to team up and, and, and go to their secret ghost busting lab. Where they've developed new tech like to, 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 to bust ghosts uh, with Carrie Coon and Paul Rudd tagging along. Right. They're guardians. Uh, but then uh, an evil force comes in from the bay. It's 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 a second ice age unless the Ghostbusters can rally uh, and defeat the evil to stop it. Uh, this movie's not actually directed by uh, Jason Reitman, uh, original director of Ghostbusters. Ivan Reitman, his son Jason Reitman, did Ghostbusters Afterlife. This is directed by Gil Keenan, uh, who co-wrote this in the previous film. Uh, so he's good friends. They still kind of work together. I don't know why Eitman, Reitman ducked. All the Ghostbusters are in it. Andy, do you care at all about Ghostbusters Empire? <laughs> It, it looks fine, but it's also it's confusing because as I thought at the end of the previous movie there we had four different Ghostbusters. It was basically two teens and then two like younger kids, and now to the those two because there was a there was a girl and someone else and they two of there's them. There's a kid named Podcast, right? That was the guy. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they 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 we've lost two of the Ghostbusters from the previous movie. They've been replaced by uh, Carrie Coon and Paul Rudd, so now it's a family affair, and I just find found that bizarre. <laughs> Uh, it looks fine. I think this is a property that is from the 80s and needs to stay in the 80s because they keep trying to just remake it in that style. And it's like, if you're going to redo this 40 years later, you got to update it, man. You got to stop doing this like, oh, we got to evacuate the city plots that they used to do in the 80s all all the time. Like, yeah, you, you got to get rid of the station wagon, man. Like, get an Escalade. That's the, the Ghostbuster car. Like, mm. I you got to completely modernize this franchise, I think. Andy and I had like the wildest fan castings for like Ghostbusters reboot. Um, just a couple years ago, we'd have people like Randall Park on there or like even way back when Seth Rogen was a bit more interested. I think he would have been a good pick. Um, now Ghostbusters moved in a radically different direction. It's fine, right? Like obviously Sony's making money. What do they care? But it is a little weird, yeah. I, I I'm a big sucker for that old movie and Ghostbusters two even. Uh, and these movies are different, and I will go see this. Um, but it's definitely not your dad's Ghostbusters, just like not your mom's Mean Girls, right? Uh, what else are we talking about? Uh, Inside Out two had just a short uh teaser. This is of course the follow up to the first Inside Out, which came out in 2015. Uh, w- Riley the 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 main character girl is now a teenager and so she's going to be having some new emotions join in we know that there's um anxiety on we a couple of others so there's a bunch of new characters weird thing though amy poehler is back as as joy but uh bill Hader did not return and neither did mindy kaling uh for pay reasons apparently uh amy poehler got paid five million dollars to return and they were just offering the other two a hundred thousand and they're a hundred thousand which, yeah. like, for what it's worth, Amy Poehler had a way larger performance in the first movie, and I'm sure this movie's probably the same way. Those two characters are probably side characters, but 
Man, that is quite the pay disparity. Uh, and Mindy Colling and, and, and Bill Ader are not slouches, right? Like they're those are pretty pretty big names. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have absolutely. a lot. Of, you know, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. We we don't get a lot of um, like the trailer just shows like this construction crew coming into like the control room and replacing everything, and they say, "Well, you got some new guys back," and uh, that that's what we're looking forward to. So we know uh, f- uh, the original. Where joy, sadness, anger, fear, and now we also are being in, introduced to disgust and anxiety. Uh, w- anxiety played by Maya Hawke. Uh, yeah. So th- this looks fine. Uh, I mean, uh, this was a very successful Pixar film. The, s- the sequel will probably do fine, but it's it's just kind of devoid of... <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait for more. It it tragically is a film that like probably shouldn't be made. Uh, Iger announced this right next to Toy Story Five and Frozen Three, and everybody in the world rolled their eyes. And now we're seeing like the first trailer of those three come out. Right, like next will be Toy Story Five and then Frozen Three, or vice versa. And it's like, boy, y'all need to. I don't. I don't know if this is the, this is the winning strategy. You know, to building long lasting brand recognition. But what do I know? I'm not Disney. They've been around for a hundred years. They'll probably be around for a hundred more. Uh, one more animated feature to talk about this week. Uh, we got to talk about the trailer for the Garfield movie. Uh, I added this to the outline. I wanted to mention it. Uh, there's a Garfield movie coming, right? Like, you might have heard about it. We finally have a trailer. Uh, uh, it stars Chris Pratt as Garfield. I wish that was a joke. It isn't. And this movie, <laughs> this trailer totally opens like Warner Brothers Scoob trailer, if you remember, where it had like puppy scooby-doo and like kid shaggy meeting at summer camp and they're like we're gonna be best friends forever before you cut to like the larger version same gag you got the cutest cat like kitty in the whole world little orange garfield out in the rain uh when he runs across the street and sees uh john arbuckle uh hot off a breakup again uh eating pizza alone in a restaurant the two of them bond and they get together and then you see uh, a flash forward to modern Garfield that we know, right? And Odie at John's house and Garfield is eating all of the food and getting into antics and voiced by Chris Pratt. And I just feel like I got to I got to get on this movie podcast that I'm a part of and talk about Chris Pratt's like sterling reputation as a voice actor because I feel like it's genuinely the worst part of this whole thing. As soon as as soon as his voice comes out of that character, you're like, "Oh my god." We're, we're we're back in capitalism land, right? Like the the movie magic is gone, and Chris Pratt is getting voice roles because he was hot when he booked the Lego Movie, and then that did good, so he got the Mario Movie, and then after that he booked this movie, and like that's just how that's just how the industry works. Any hot takes on the Garfield movie, Andy? What do you think? Uh, looks like movies for babies. Uh, the voice again, it's just Chris Pratt being himself, walking like I could do this role. Like there's nothing yeah. specific to it. Also, the the animation style looks like it doesn't look like the and maybe this is probably on purpose. It doesn't look like the comic strip Garfield. Yeah, we're all familiar with its very unique style. They've changed it. Yeah, some and I, I was like, I don't, I don't know why you would change it, but they did. I, I'm definitely yeah. not not gonna be seeing this, and I don't know don't how care. Chris Pratt ke- keeps getting work. Would it make a difference if I told you Garfield's father in the film is voiced by Ving Rhames in the second film he can sit in all year? You uh, mean Samuel L. Jackson? Great. No, it's Ving Rhames, I swear. Samuel L. Jackson. I, I gotta look. The, no, you got me going now. I was looking at this just before the movie started. I was like, no, no, it's it's him, I swear. Garfield the movie. He, I think they're both in it. I want to say that. Oh, okay. I do. I do think 
They're both in it. But now I got to fact check live on the podcast because God, it's Samuel Jackson. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. Honestly, you know that's do? a bigger draw. That's a bigger draw than uh, it's true. Threat, honestly, we should we should stop talking about uh, trailers and start talking about our next film because we got to move through this. We got a lot to go. Uh, this is a mini review. We don't often do these on the podcast, uh, but Andy saw this feature. I have not seen it. We thought it was worth covering. Uh, Andy, please take it away. I'll follow up with questions shortly after. Uh, give us your thoughts. Priscilla. So this is the uh, kind of, not biopic, but story of Priscilla Presley uh, based on Priscilla Presley's memoir uh, starring Kaylee Spaney as Priscilla and Jacob Elordi as Elvis. And uh, I saw this a couple of weeks ago. Really fascinating movie. It follows her courtship as, and it doesn't shy away. Like it, uh, She is 14 when they first meet and he kind of pursues her, seeks her out, invites her to these very like adult parties where... You know, people are like drinking and smoking and just being adults and she's a 14 year old doesn't know what what to do um and so the movie chronicles her life from meeting elvis getting married moving to the states and what that was like and kind of the terrible life that that was like um and before ultimately uh leaving it's a really incredible film and kaylee spaney is is a star it's not it's not an elvis movie it's about priscilla and uh I mean, it, it's a tough watch because uh, he was pretty terrible to her as portrayed by this movie. The Elvis estate is not f- happy with this movie. Lisa Marie Presley, uh, before her her death, was not happy with this movie. But um, like I said, it's based on Priscilla's memoir. It's shot in a really incredible way. It's uh, directed by Sofia Coppola. Um, at no point d- d- does their relationship ever feel romantic or like something to aspire to. It was very carefully just portrayed this kind of incredible power imbalance between these two. I think Kaylee Spaney's probably going to get an, an award nomination. Same thing with Jacob Elordi. He does a great job of being Elvis and not, you know, Austin Butler famously like became Elvis for several years, like lost his voice and see his family and Jacob Elordi kind of just showed up and did it. Um, <laughs> it might be better. Uh, really incredible film. It's a little long in the end, but uh, I, I think it's, definitely uh something to to check out and it's one i think it's actually sofia coppola's most successful film so far it's doing pretty well at the box office so i got a few questions to jump in here with and number one i guess is is how does this movie look following Baz Luhrmann's elvis right like it made movie made a ton of money oscar nods austin butler yeah took the role he studied it for years to get it together and then people on Twitter are dunking on him, like Jacob Elordi picked this up in a month, right? And like kind of already had the <laughs> voice, and just it like it 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 sounds much smaller. And additionally, uh, you're right, Sofia Coppola did not get the rights uh, from the Elvis Presley estate. Uh, they did not support this. Uh, there's no Elvis music in this movie, as far as right. I know. Uh, there's just time appropriate covers. So I guess knowing all that going in, to me, having not seen it, it sounds a whole lot like this would be a lesser feature. But a more intimate feature. Um, how would you speak to that? Do you do you feel that way? I mean, it's definitely smaller in in scale, but it's also you know, Boz Lerman is loud and and bombastic, and you know, he's a real entertainer. And this is a different kind of, of movie. It's it's a portrait of her, of this fourteen year old girl being like whisked away into this incredible life, this crazy life um, where. You know, he takes her to Vegas when she's like 16 and is like gambling at a table with other famous people. Like it, it's mind blowing. But he also 
he kept her very much as as a pet like she kind of just stayed upstairs in his room at, at graceland and wasn't allowed to leave wasn't allowed to have friends wasn't allowed to go out like had to read all the tabloids in the papers all the time about him and other women when he was out out working out uh, making movies and uh, she kind of has to put up with this for a long time she puts up with a lot of of abuse and she just doesn't know any better because she was taken away basically as a, a child you know it, it's very much a portrait of the the dynamic of their relationship as much as it is and again it's not an elvis movie he's in it obviously but it, it's not about him and and uh, Sophia Coppola does a great job of just always keeping the lens on Kaylee Spaney, who is in almost every scene. Like she carries this movie. I saw a clip that was released from Priscilla, uh, which features um, Priscilla finding like what looks like a love letter from a fan or something uh, for for Elvis, and she's in the in his house, and she goes to him. He's on the phone, and she shows him and says, "What you, what is this?" He goes, "Oh, you know what? Uh, I should help you pack your bags. You're you're leaving tonight. Actually, <laughs> somebody book her a flight. You're going." He walks in her room, throws down. His, Immediately starts putting it, it, it like on just that clip by itself seems wildly abusive and, and like it definitely feels like that would be a part of what we're seeing in this film. But one of the things that was interesting about Baz Luhrmann's Elvis story is how much Elvis was also uh, a young kind of fish in a really wide pond where people like Colonel Tom Parker would manage him and maybe take advantage of him and push him around in ways in the industry that like he was not privy to and didn't understand. He had an ailing mother, right? Like. Elvis obviously suffers his own problems. With that in mind, how does Priscilla handle that, if at all? Do you see any of that? Is he like kind of also a vulnerable individual, or is he a monster? I mean, like, what are we looking for here? No, he's he is kind of terrible the whole whole time. Like, you know, he especially since she's so so young. You know, he he gaslights her all the time. He tells her like how she's got to look, how she's got to dress, um, you know, who she can be seen with and can't be seen with. Uh, the, those kinds of things, and you know, there's uh, it get, he gets physical with her quite a bit. There's there's a fair amount of physical abuse uh, that happens in the movie, as well as emotional abuse, as well, like just being like kept uh, locked up as as kind of his pet. Um, yeah, it, it's not a flattering portrait of uh, of him at <laughs> at all. No, um, and that that I think leads into my last question uh, I, regarding. The, the Presley estate. Uh, Lisa Marie Presley had this quote. It was really specific. She said, quote, uh, of Sophia Coppola's script, it is, quote, shockingly vengeful and contemptuous. Uh, she said, my father only comes across, my father, Elvis Presley, only comes across as a predator and manipulative as his daughter. I don't read this and see any of my father in this character. She went on to tell Coppola she would speak out against the film after it's released. I'll be forced to be in a position where I'll have to openly say how I feel about this film and go against you, my mother, and this film publicly. Because Andy's right. Uh, this is Priscilla Presley's memoir. Um, Andy, having seen the film, do you understand why Elvis's daughter would feel so strongly about this and do you think maybe she might have felt differently if she'd seen it do you think maybe she just saw it on the page and thought oh this is bad or do you feel like no nah, it's pretty it's pretty damning it's pretty damning but also i mean she was like two years old when when they got divorced and was taken away from elvis and then he died not too long after so like uh realistically she didn't really know him and she obviously didn't know him as as a partner uh and that that's kind of the dynamic it, it's just like you know she would she wouldn't have been around and she wouldn't have been she wouldn't have seen any of the warts and all 
things that we kind of see in this movie. And that is like, again, it's based on her memoir, which she helped collaborate on, on the script with. So it's, you know, I don't know how, how much more accurate you can get. One more question, Andy, would you recommend Priscilla? I would. It's, it's definitely one of the best uh, of the year. Really well shot. I love the eye that, that Sofia Coppola has uh, for filmmaking. Great performances from uh, Kaylee Spaney as Priscilla Preston and J- Jacob Elordi, of course, is, as Elvis. Um, it gets a little long in the third act, but it's only an hour and 50 minutes. Um, but re- really solid. Definitely catch it if you can. Yeah, and that's Priscilla. I wish I'd seen it. I, I'm kicking myself for having not ca- caught it. I'm hoping I will here in the next couple of weeks before it leaves theaters. Uh, if you have the chance, go check out Priscilla while you still can. And with that, we've got one more film to move to. Normally, we only do two in an episode. I know it's I know it's a big one this week. It's okay. We'll move through this one quickly. I'm excited to take the summary on it. Uh, the movie is Anatomy of a Fall. So Anatomy of a Fall is an indie darling that's been getting a lot of attention uh, this year in the year of our Lord 2023. It is from Justin Triet, uh, Justine Triet out of France. Uh, it is a small feature, small cast, uh, and it is rather clinical. Uh, it is the story of Sandra, Samuel, and Daniel, a small family living in France at this wonderful uh, three-story cottage uh, up in the mountains. It's snowy. Uh, 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 Sandra and Samuel are both writers. Uh, Sandra's having a bit more success than Samuel is, and the two of them are kind of at odds a little bit. Uh, And one day, uh, while Sandra is uh, taking an interview uh, with a local reporter who wants to know more about her new book, uh, Samuel's playing music rather loud upstairs while he's uh, uh, fixing up their attic, renovating and uh, their son, Daniel, who is partially uh, partially blind, uh, goes out for a walk with their dog, Snoop. Um, he returns home to find that uh, Samuel has fallen out of the third story window by the attic uh, or maybe was pushed uh, and has tragically died in their driveway uh, out in the snow. Uh, obviously, uh, a lawyer shows up uh, to represent Sandra uh, because there's... Something that's happened here. Her husband has, has, has been uh, mortally injured, right, in one fashion or another. Uh, and the state, or I should say the country, France, uh, meanwhile, uh, puts together a, uh, I guess like a, like a prosecution uh, to try to say that, hey, we think there might be foul play here. Uh, this famous writer may have been murdered by his wife. Um, Anatomy of a Fall is much of a courtroom drama, actually, uh, in a court that's not American. It's surprisingly fresh and different. Uh, and it's very much a look at uh, the moments in a relationship that uh, may seem insignificant or, or, or not important at the time, or maybe even meaning of, of one thing, and then how that can be shifted and turned and perceived differently when suddenly like events lead a lot of people into perceiving uh, what could otherwise be inco- inconsequential. Uh, it, it's uh, Anatomy of a Fall is... What just just over two hours, two or two and a half hours long? It's a little long, a little little long in the tooth, and also a surprising amount of English in this film, I should say. So if you're if you're afraid of subtitles, you'd be surprised at how much of Anatomy of Fall you won't be reading, uh, you'll be hearing. Uh, The movie's Anatomy of Fall. Andy, what do you think? Man, there's so much going on in this. Uh, Like I said, I had heard a lot of buzz about it. Uh, It won won the Palm d'Or at at Cannes. Uh, I think the Third, I think the last four uh, winners have been women. Uh, Julia Durkanau also won last year for Teton. Um, 
in- incredible movie and you know it's less concerned with with whether or not she did it or not with a lot of the dynamics of their relationship and you know i i've heard an interview with justine trier where she says you know part of what she wants to present is you know the prejudices we bring to people initially because everyone seems really great when we first meet them and kind of the more we learn about all the characters we, we kind of learn that like people are aren't aren't uh there's a lot of tension in this marriage. Uh, the husband seems to be uh, depressed. He's not, he's not a success. He's an unsuccessful writer. Meanwhile, San- Sandra is a very successful writer, and there, there's issues of you know has she been stealing his ideas? Uh, there's issues of infidelity. Um, there's a lot of kind of sneaking around going going on. Uh, the, their son is is partially blind due to an accident, which may or may not have been preventable. Uh, depending on who you ask and which, which parent, there's so much much here, and the dynamics of it are are really interesting, um, and it's just very very grounded. They they recreate, you know, it's not you don't it's not these courtroom scenes where you get a, a you know I want the truth, you can't handle the truth. It's it's none of that. It's very procedural, uh, very much presenting evidence and counter evidence, and uh, you know, d- discussing legal strategy. It's it's a whole lot of uh, that in the courtroom. Yeah, I, I don't want to compare it to something like Law and Order because you, you, like when I think courtroom procedural, that's what I think of, right? Or like West, not West Wing, but like, you know, an episode of CSI or something. Um, it's not quite that. I, I'd, I'd liken it almost more to something like 12 Angry Men. Like it's it's a much more kind of thoughtful look at um, yeah. a prosecuting system and what evidence like appears like in the wake of a big event, right? Like uh, a good example at one point, um, Sandra tells her lawyer very early in the film uh, when he's first arrived at the house to kind of get a look at how things have been in the weeks since, obviously, or the days, I think, since uh, Samuel's demise. Uh, and and she says, oh, he was playing really music really loud to, to make me angry because we've been fighting. And he says, well, did you tell the prosecution that? She goes, oh, no, no, I didn't, I didn't say that. And it's like, it's an interesting detail, right, for us, the audience, to hear very early in the film that she says, oh, he was doing it to make me, he, he was being aggressive in the way he was, uh, presenting himself in the open as this kind of like hidden antagonistic force. It's actually really clever the way they kind of introduce him with this uh, really loud rendition of uh, PIMP 50 cent, right? Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yep. Really, really odd, but actually really charming. Um, additionally, like later in the film, uh, there's details that come out, right? Text messages on his phone before he passed away that it's like, oh, well, who were who these two? What was this about, right? Like, and she, this now ailing mother, has to defend herself and defend her son and their livelihood and explain that, hey, this this is the reason this is, and I just feel like he must have jumped. That must be the only way. But then suddenly, the prosecution in Act 2 says, oh, no, th- there's a very clear way this could have been foul play. Here's exactly how this could have played out. And suddenly, we in the audience are not really given the decision to decide who did what, a lot of that actually falls on the shoulders of another character, Daniel, their son, who's partially blind, uh, because he bears witness to at least parts of this. Uh, he hears them talking before he leaves for the fall, the walk. He's the one who finds the father when he comes back. And because he can't see particularly well, uh, due to instances that are explained in the film, um, he has to kind of be this like moral bellwether a little bit and to what he can remember and can't remember. And you get like just a really fascinating back and forth from a state that otherwise is doing its job, right? A prosecutor who's, who's 
very, very brilliantly acted. His name is Antoine Reynard. Uh, I don't know him, but he's great in this movie. Uh, you should yeah, do more. really incredible. Yeah, really fantastic as this just like hard hitting guy, a judge who like really seems to kind of have her mind set one way. And then a woman who ultimately is just trying to defend her and her son so that she doesn't lose everything. That is, of course, if you don't think she pushed him. And that's part of what makes this movie so fun. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of ambiguity, and when, like I said, when you first meet everyone, everyone seems great. That you think, well, there's no, there's no way she she would have done this or could have done this. Like she's loving mother, she's, you know, she's successful writer, she's very pleasant, and then it's like, but then you get more details revealed and more, and there's just more and more ambiguity, and you're like, well, you're never really given enough to make a decision one way or the other, but it's definitely you're given enough to say, yeah, it's possible. It's, it, it, I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> right. And you, you said it great. Like it's more about the, the perception of you publicly than it is about like the truth, which is strange. The lawyer says it a few times. She says, you know, you, you believe me. I, I didn't do this. And he's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I believe. Like what matters is like what, what's presentable and what everybody else thinks, you know, like it doesn't, whether you actually committed a crime is almost irrelevant at this stage. Like, because if you want your life to continue, like, we have to present this defense, and this is the best way this looks, and this is why we should say it this way, and, and don't tell them this detail and tell them that detail. Like, really interesting and, and methodical, and, and like I said, like, like analytical in a way that I think is really refreshing, even with a long runtime. Um, it's, it's an intimate script. Uh, uh, Justine uh, wrote it uh, with, with Sandra in mind as the lead. Uh, she, her and Samuel both share... Uh, their same names as their respective actor and actress. Uh, they just called them that on set. Um, they shot it uh, really fast. It was a low budget. It's a small cast. Um, why do you think this is getting so much attention, Andy? Like, why is why is this winning the Palme d'Or? Right? Like, what's what 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 does this movie have that other movies don't? It seems to be a very captivating drama. I I do feel like it was a little overhyped. To me, but that often happens with these, uh, you know, kind of festival award winners. This is what happened with After Sun last year. I, I, that, that, that's why it took so long to watch it. Um, it, it. It is a really gripping drama. It has a lot to say about men and women and, and relationships. That's pri- that's really what's on trial is her relationship with, with her husband more than uh, any anything. Um, and like I said, what what didn't didn't happen, and everything is so in, inconclusive, and so both sides just kind of go after e- each other. You know, the prosecution is is hell bent on prove, proving her her guilt, and sometimes they, it seems like they have good evidence, and a lot of times it's not really, but they're just kind of sticking through it. So, um, yeah, it's just the courtroom drama is really compelling. The, uh, the performances are, are, are really great. Uh, Sandra Hewler has an incredible, really big scene, uh, near, uh, kind of near the end. Um, so I, yeah, I, th- I think those, those are, those are the reasons. What about you? Uh, no, I think I'm in the same boat. Like, I, I think it's, it's charming because it's offbeat, like in a way that I think people don't expect you. Like you just, like even watching the trailer, I thought, okay, I, I kind of know the beats of this or where it's going to go, but it's, it's, it's moments where it lingers. It's, it's moments where it subverts in a way you wouldn't expect that I think make it so exciting. And, and, and yeah, really pushing this idea that like it fundamentally is not about whether or not a crime was committed. It's about the perception of whether or not a crime was committed and what that means. And like, I think it's really fascinating. It's really cool to spend time in that space. I mean, similarly, like totally inversely after Sun, 
does the opposite, right? They, they give us, the audience, the idea, the kernels that, hey, maybe there's more here than meets the eye, and it's up to us to dig in. But Anatomy of a Fall instead stands back and says, look at this whole parade. Look at this whole charade of, of how this court system works and how this goes together, all to ultimately help people determine how they feel about a situation and where it might have gone and how you will be judged going forward because of that. Like, interesting, right? Like, in a world where you shouldn't care what anybody else thinks, in Anatomy of a Fall, what anybody else thinks is all that matters, really. And, like, that's really fascinating, I think, in a way you don't expect, especially coming out of France with a little film, with a little budget, and a little cast who turn out some movie magic, right? Uh, Andy, would you recommend Anatomy of a Fall? Yeah, I would. It's uh, definitely one of the year's best. Uh, like I said, it, it's been winning awards on the festival circuit. I think it's definitely going to be up for either uh, best picture or definitely best international uh, feature. And I heard Sandra Hewler might might get a, no- a nominee for this. She's also in uh, The Zone of Interest, which is something that's going to be coming out that we'll be keeping an, an eye on. Uh, good performances, really compelling drama. It's a little long, like it's two and a half hours. It's long for for a drama. It gets a little long in in the third act, but other than that, highly recommend. I'm in the same boat. Uh, would recommend. I think Anatomy of a Fall is really fun. Get yourself a cold brew or a glass of wine or something. Sit back and just kind of take it in. It's long. I know it's long. There's probably a way to watch it, like in in halves or parts, like because it it is a bit slow in the middle, but. You'd be surprised how much rope you're given in that two and a half hours. It seems simple. I, there's more to it than Andy and I are telling you just on, 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 on Earth's face. Um, you should check out Anatomy of Fall. It's really cool. Good, good movie to kind of twist your mustache to and think about, you know, as you're sitting there watching. Uh, and that's, God, off script episode 232. Andy, jam-packed episode today. I don't know how we did it. I know we ran a little over time, but not too far. We're not doing too bad. What are we watching next week? There is a ton coming out. There are eight movie releases happening in one week, basically. My uh, God. Because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, I'm going to go over the, those first. So this Friday, the big release is uh, The Hunger Games uh, prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. That releases on November 17th, along with Trolls Band Together. Take the kids, take the family. That's going to be huge, too. Taika Waititi's uh, soccer Drama comedy, Next Goal Win, starring Michael Fassbender, also comes out November 17th. And the one that we're going to be taking a look at, Thanksgiving, which is a, a horror movie based on uh, a trailer from uh, the Grindhouse movie, which is pretty old now, um, from Eli Roth had made the, these fake trailers in that, that movie. And it's finally coming to life, so we're going to be checking that out. And we're also going to be taking a look at The Holdovers, which is Alexander Payne's new, new drama starring Paul Giamatti. Um, that looks like a lot of fun. And then also Thanksgiving releases, four big releases on Thanksgiving, uh, Napoleon, uh, Ridley Scott's historical epic, Wish, which is Disney's new princess uh, drama, Dream Scenario, which is the Nick Cage uh, film where he appears in everyone's dreams, and then Emerald Fennel's Saltburn also comes out on the 22nd. So a ton of movies, eight big releases in the next week. Um, we're going to have some winners and losers when we come back, Uh, but that's what we're watching. Insane, insane week at the movies. Eight films. I don't know what the studios are thinking. I think if anything is getting dragged along the bottom here, it's going to be Dream Scenario and Saltburn and Next Goal Wins, right? Yeah. Because like Trolls and Wish are both going to do fine. Hunger Games will do okay, I think. Napoleon will get big numbers. Well, big numbers for Ridley Scott. Uh, Next Goal Wins is going to get trashed like there's no way people are turning out to see that movie maybe i don't know like i just don't 
a tropical film during Thanksgiving. <laughs> starring starring Michael Fassbender. Like I don't know, man. Maybe may, maybe not. Uh, it's too many movies. But I'm excited about Napoleon. Not super excited about Thanksgiving. But I think I I think that movie will be self aware. Right? It's got to be. It has to know what it is. Like so, I think at least that'll be fun. We'll see. But if you liked the show today, off script episode two thirty two or two thirty one last week or two thirty the week before that, anything we've done, anything we're working on, if you like what we're doing, if you've listened through this far, uh, thanks. First off, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. And and secondly, uh, if you could do us one more favor, one more solid, and just you know follow us on some social media platform. You might already follow us on Facebook. You might already follow us on YouTube. Big things. We're on YouTube. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can follow us over there. We're on all kinds of podcast outlets, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartMedia, right? Like we're we're on all of them. We're on Deezer, I think. I think we're on CastBox. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on any of those, right? If you do us one solid, just pick one. Whichever one's your favorite, whichever one you never even visit, right? Throw us a little bit of a follow. It would help us a ton. It actually helps any podcast, really, that you listen to, like Real Talk, some 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 industry advice here. Every podcast needs the help. So if you have the means, do us a solid and throw us a follow. Or subscribe, even. Subscribe to Offscript Film Review. You get new episodes delivered straight to your phone every single week, every Tuesday when we do them. Uh, that'd be a great way as well. Movies are expensive. Podcasts are cheap. Offscript Film Review is absolutely free, just because Andy and I like seeing movies and talking about them. And uh, while I'm thinking about it, uh, you can check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, and you can email us correspondence, your reviews, your thoughts on things we've seen or haven't at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. With all of that in mind, my gosh, what a show. Jam-packed, 232, one for the record books. Uh, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.